Good morning, Chicago sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Joined as always with Cole Little, this is Dustin Reese. And Cole, how was your weekend this past weekend? It was good, man. How about yours? It was actually really well. Uh, baseball finally got underway, so I got to watch some baseball this weekend, watch the race this weekend. Didn't do too much. Oh, I had um, high school basketball playoffs around me this weekend, so I got to watch some of that stuff as well. So I had a pretty, pretty busy this weekend this past weekend. Cool, man. It's all kinds of sports. Oh, yeah. And with baseball, that's what we'll start the show with today as the official start of the 2021 baseball season has now gotten underway. I know spring training isn't the regular season or anything like that, but that basically signifies the start of the new baseball season. Uh, you have the White Sox who have gotten off to an 0-1-1 start. Brewers 7-2 on Sunday, then followed that up with a 4-4 tie against the Angels yesterday, and then the Cubs went and took care of the Padres one to nothing yesterday. Um, obviously, spring training, nothing counts. Statistics, records, and all that stuff goes out of the window, but I don't know how much of the highlights you got to see from either one of those games the past couple days, but what did you make of, I guess, the Cubs' performance to start off yesterday? I kind of felt like it was more of the same of what we've talked about the last few months where starting pitching continues to carry them and the offense just can't get it done. They only had two hits yesterday and they only scored one run. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least they started off spring training ball with a win um good to get a win over the team that essentially fleeced the cubs <laughs> seemingly fleeced the cubs in the offseason with the darvish trade um yeah i mean it's just you know it, just getting started uh you know at least they got a win at least there were no bullpen issues or, any, or anything of course right now they recently they've had some bullpen problems with COVID and injuries and whatnot. So, um, yeah, two hits, one run. Meanwhile, Padres, you got six hits, but we're held scoreless. So, good for the Cubs to come away with a 1-0 win right off the bat. I'm usually not one that takes a lot away from spring training just because nothing counts in spring training. And 90% of the time – a majority of that spring training roster doesn't even make the big league roster because you have so many minor league guys in camp at this point. But given the like the track record of Arizona and just knowing how many runs are scored in Arizona during the spring and just how if you look at even spring training scores across the board, you can see how many runs are scored in Arizona as opposed to like when you go to Florida where a lot of those games are like four to three type games. I know it's only one game in, but it does concern me a little bit if the Cubs are going to get one run on two hits in Arizona, knowing how well the ball flies out of there. I'm just hoping that's not a sign of things to come when they go to Wrigley Field. Yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see how their offense fares over the course of the month. Um, Keep an eye on certain players, see how if they get in a groove or not. And uh, I didn't mention the White Sox. As as far as my thoughts on the White Sox, I mean, it's, you know, 7-2 to two loss to the Brewers and then a 4-4 tie with 
Joe Madden and the Angels. Um, so, yeah, so far they haven't exactly done too well in the pitching department, but, again, it's just two spring training games. Um, you know, these are just – these are going to be two teams that are just going to look to get through spring training with – you know, out without suffering any major injuries or any setbacks and, you know, look to get started. I mean, I saw ESPN even projects the Cubs are going to win the NL Central. So things are looking up for the Cubs, I guess. And obviously the White Sox, as we know, are going all in for a World Series. Yeah, we can. We'll uh, bounce off of that. We will bounce off of that thing with what ESPN said with the Cubs being predict predicted to win the division. And I looked at the win totals, and they had the Cubs. I think at like eighty four point seven wins, which kind of comes in where my prediction story was. I had the Cubs kind of finishing in that eighty five to eighty six win range, but knowing the knowing that the Cubs have so much holes that they needed to fill this year. And you look at the trade that the Cardinals made to get Nolan Arenado. If the Cubs win 84, 85 games, I realistically do not think that's going to be enough to win the division because I think St. Louis is a 90 win defense that are out right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I was surprised to see that projection from ESPN. You have to think with with what the Cardinals were able to do in the off season, that yeah, they're they're gonna be shooting for at least nine wins. Um, so, so the Cubs have a tall task ahead of them. But yeah, I mean, they really kind of saved you know the the outlook of their season with some of the moves they made toward the end. Jed Hoyer, rather, some of the moves he made toward the end of. The true off season, you know, Jock Peterson, Jake Arrieta, and and some others, um, really changed the whole trajectory of what this season looks like. So we'll see if it comes to fruition. I know a lot of people want to criticize moves like that, especially. I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to criticize the Jock Peterson move because, in reality, Peterson is exactly the same type of player Schwarber is, which we've talked about in the past. He just came at a cheaper price. But then you have all those fans that kind of want to criticize a lot of the pitching moves the Cubs made, especially like signing guys like Trevor Williams. And then, I mean, people are still on the fence about Arietta not knowing what he's going to bring to the table. But when you look at a lot of successful teams, and I'm not even going to say rebuilding teams, I'm going to say teams that are kind of, on the brink of trying to figure out if they're going to go into a rebuild or if they're on the brink of trying to figure out if they still want to compete, they do often make moves like the Cubs did because they're moves that are aimed at plugging holes on the roster, but they're bringing in players that have had past success so they know what they can get out of these players as opposed to just plugging holes with a bunch of bench players that really don't have any starting experience. Right, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, give credit where credit is due to – got to give credit where credit is due to Hoyer for at least filling those holes as best he could and, you know, making the Cubs more competitive. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, a division title isn't out of question. I just think it's 
for all intents and purposes right now, the Cardinals should should be the odds-on favorites to win the NL Central. I think if the Cubs have if the Cubs want any realistic shot at winning the division this year, they need to get off to another strong start like they did last year. And I'm not saying like a 13 and three start like they got off to last year, but I think they need to get off to like a 12 and eight start through 20 games. And I think they pretty much need to, not this obviously maybe having a winning month every month obviously would be good, but if you're not going to have a winning month, try to focus on being no worse than 500 in like when you have a down month. And if you can get a couple months here and there where you're above 500, you can contend for a playoff spot. And who knows if the Cubs are in that position where they're battling for a wild card spark come the end of July, maybe they do become buyers at the trade deadline again and kind of add some new blood into this team that not only helps the team this year, but helps them going forward, depending on what pieces they acquire. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. A long way to go until then. Um, For now, let's just, you know, for the Cubs' sake, let's just hope they get through spring training okay with no setbacks. And I mean, I'll ask you this because I haven't heard much about the policy, the policy right now in baseball, but we know the policy right now with the NBA and the NHL in terms of COVID where if there's COVID outbreaks or COVID issues that you have to postpone, I guess, up to a week of games and kind of go – from there in terms of the NHL and the NBA, but have you heard anything with like spring training or even the regular season for that matter, if a team comes down with COVID problems? I mean, I would guess that if it happened in spring, they would just cancel the games that they're missing because they're spring training games. and They're not going to worry about making those up, but have you heard anything about how the regular season is going to work? Like, is there a certain amount of, I guess, positive tests that need to happen for, a game to be canceled or is it going to be kind of similar to the NBA and everything where if you have one positive test, you have to postpone your game? Uh, I haven't heard anything. I mean, I think there are a lot of moving parts right now to that. You know, I mean, MLB's move moves pretty slowly consistently and, you know, things don't really, you know, since the pandemic began, I mean, big news regarding, plans that Manford has have been kind of late coming in but so they may be waiting until as late as possible in March before they really have to make a designated plan on that you know it's spring training I mean everybody's kind of in a bubble it's kind of sort of in a bubble um so I don't think they're they're banking on having to worry too much about an outbreak in in the grapefruit league or the cactus league but and obviously, yeah, like you said, they'll just cancel spring training games if they have to, no problem. But as for what the plan will be for the regular season, I'm not too sure. I mean, I can imagine it will be similar to what it was like last year. And, you know, obviously after we got – after MLB got through the first couple weeks when they had the Marlins outbreak and the Cardinals outbreak, you know, where the Cardinals showed went to the casino um, – they really didn't have any other headaches the rest of the way. So, you know, hopefully this season it will be similar. I mean, obviously it will be a much longer season. Um, so the chances of, of having outbreaks will be 
better and higher and and um which is unfortunate but it is the way it is and you know i mean i guess they're just gonna have to go through another season where for the time being players are really confined to their hotel rooms when they're on the road and you know just this is going to be pretty lock and key i guess but yeah i'm not sure what the exact um you know, protocol is going to be, I mean, of course there were plenty of makeup games and double headers and postponements and whatnot uh, this past season, but not too many big time headaches outside of those first couple weeks. So hopefully we can expect more of the same this year. And I guess the good thing with this year as compared to last year is there's supposed to be a 162 game schedule, which means they're going to have, plenty of time to make up postponed games if they have to, whether it means a doubleheader here, a doubleheader there, or taking normal off days that a team would have and switching it out. But I don't think you're going to come into too many situations this year like the Cubs ran into last year where they had a five-game series, two straight or two weekends with the St. Louis Cardinals to make up all those games. I mean, the only situations you might run into are like when the Cubs and White Sox and all these teams play like the – home-and-home home series with, like, the, the Western Division and the Eastern Divisions where you have, like, three games on the road and three games at home where if one of those series gets canceled because of COVID, that might kind of be the only the only instance where you might end up having a five-game series because they'd be trying to figure out a way to make, a, make those games out because, obviously, you don't have three consecutive off days where you can make them up and you're not going to have a team travel from, like, California to Chicago back to Florida on like a regular off day but outside of that having the full season I think it's going to be a lot easier for the league to adjust games if they have to due to postponements and things like that yeah for sure and you know seven inning um, double headers are going to be back this year you know so baseball is already banking on probably having to have a lot of double headers so that that rule has been reinstated. No nationally designated hitter, though. Um, but you know, I mean, MLB still hasn't even finalized this postseason format. So they got a lot they got to announce, and and you know, um, come to big decision on by the end of the month and announce to the public before the regular season gets going. Exactly. Uh, we'll switch over to the NHL side of things now. And Chicago Blackhawks have fallen a little bit in the standings. I mean, they haven't fallen too far. They've gone from third place in the central to fourth place after that disappointing loss to the Red Wings on Saturday, five to three, but then they turned right around and basically turned Thomas Grice into a, invisible person on Sunday because they put seven goals past him Sunday to win seven to two to get back into fourth place. There are two points out of first, uh, two points out of first place, which is occupied by Florida at the moment. And then they're one point out of second place behind Tampa Bay and Carolina, as well as the Blackhawks have played all season. And as well as they've played <clears throat> for the last month plus, we're really going to get to see what the Blackhawks are made of right now because they have the Tampa Bay Lightning are coming to town for 
three games in a four-day stretch. They have games on Thursday and Friday, and then another game on Sunday against Tampa Bay all at home. And then after that, they go on the road to Carolina and go on the road to Florida. So the three teams that are ahead of them in the standings are the three series that they have coming up. They do have a seven-point lead over the fifth-place team in Columbus. But this next two-week stretch for the Blackhawks is really going to tell us how good this team is. And depending on how they can get through the stretch, they could really put themselves in position, obviously, to make the postseason, but put themselves in position to be maybe even the top seed coming out of the Central. Yeah, for sure. They'll have their medal tested for sure here in the near future. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they're coming into the Lightning series on a good note after the uh, seven-goal output against Detroit on Sunday. You mentioned that's Chicago's highest goal output of the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Blackhawks, you know, what we talked about last week, I mean, they've so far, it's, they've definitely exceeded expectations. And depending on how they do with this tough stretch coming up, they could, you know, establish themselves as a legitimate contender to win their division. And uh, it, as great as it would be for them to establish themselves as like a legitimate division contender, they do have a seven-point lead in terms of missing the postseason because the top four teams in each division make the playoffs. So they're in very good position to make the playoffs, obviously, at this point as we're kind of reaching the halfway point of the season right now. But I think, obviously, the Blackhawks want to win as many games as possible. Obviously, they want to try to win the division. But with this stretch of games coming up, I just feel like the Blackhawks just need to be competitive throughout this whole stretch. Like, if they have a losing record, it's one thing. If they have a winning record, it's one thing. But as long as they're not getting blown out, like, 6-2 to two or 5 nothing here and there, and all the games are, like, within one or two goals, that should be enough to tell fans where this team is, where they may not be as good as Florida or Tampa Bay. But if their games are all close, that shows you just how close they are to being one of those best teams in the league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the key is to, you know, be as competitive as possible and, and don't give up don't give up too many goals. Don't go back to, you know, the way they started off the season against Tampa. And the thing that I guess I'm very curious on, and I know this doesn't concern the Blackhawks because they're in the United States, but the All-Canada Hockey Conference, the North Division out West, where you have the seven mm-hmm. Canadian teams in it, when the playoffs come, I, I'm still trying to figure out how they're going to go about with the playoffs with these teams. I mean, essentially for the first round, you could do – the four Canadian teams against each other, and then the two winners play each other. And then once you get to that conference final, the Canadian team is going to have to travel to the United States eventually. And obviously if they advance to the Stanley Cup, they're going to have to travel to the United States eventually. So I guess I'm getting to the point now, when is the Canadian government and when is the Canadian side of things going to start stepping in, not just for – hockey but for soccer and for the NBA when are they going to start to say okay we're going to let you guys travel now just because it's going to start affecting teams that are making the playoffs if they can't travel because they're going to be forced to 
find a different city in the United States to play in, and who knows if that city's even going to be available to play in once you get further down the line. Yeah, right. And I mean, it's it's crazy to think that you know the NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs as well will be here in in just a few months. You know, it's it's it'll be here before you know it. And uh, yeah, a lot of these tough decisions are going to have to be made. I mean, you know, you have to wonder if these, if Canada and these Canadian teams are banking on hoping for another bubble situation or something. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. You know, for example, the Raptors, Toronto Raptors in the NBA have been playing their all of their home games in Tampa Bay, in Tampa. So well, where the Lightning play. So. Um, you know, they haven't been able to play at home. Obviously, the Blue Jays for the second straight year are going to be stuck in the U.S. and not, not able to play at home, at least for the time being. Uh, they're gonna they're actually going to be in three cities this year, I heard. I heard April and May they're going to be in Florida, where they are now, and then June into July they're going to go up to Buffalo again, and they're hoping to get into Toronto by the end of July. So they're actually going to be enduring – I basically 20 to 25 home games yeah, at three separate locations. So, yeah, I mean, at least, you know, for their sake, maybe after the All-Star break, they'll, they'll, it looks like maybe they'll be able to go back home and, and play in Toronto. But, of course, as for NBA and NHL, I mean, their seasons will be coming to an end in July. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I don't know. I mean, some tough decisions are going to be have to be made by people who are – bigger and more important than than you know officials with with these sports leagues like some government entities are going to have to decide on these things um but yeah it's it's going to be interesting i mean it's one of those unfortunate things is that you know 2020 was obviously the year you know at least eight and a half months of it was was so um severely affected by um, COVID, uh, or nine and a half months of it rather, was so severely altered by COVID. Um, but you know, it carried over into 2021. I mean, it would have been an, it would have been nice to leave it in 2020. But you know, there are going to be more of these tough questions. I mean, obviously, we were about to see a strange March Madness like we'd never seen before, and we still have NBA arenas in certain states that don't have fans or have very few fans and um you know have to wonder what the nba playoffs are going to look like so yeah there's a lot of moving parts that are going to have to um, you know be, be resolved and and settled come playoff time for these leagues and now that you brought up uh march madness we'll just head right into the college basketball landscape now and I will start today with the Big Ten where Illinois is coming off of a very hard fought win against Wisconsin. It was obviously not the prettiest of wins for Illinois by any means because they had a very big lead against the Badgers and they almost let it get away but that was courtesy to Demetric Trice who decided that the final five minutes of the game, he just wanted to play one-on-one with himself and not miss a shot for that matter. But we talked about this last week where these final three games of the season are going to tell us all we need to know about Illinois. And 
fans or no fans, getting a win on the road at Wisconsin is always a great victory, which they took care of over the weekend. And now they have Michigan and Ohio State lined up to finish off the season. And regardless of where things sit right now, it looks like Illinois is going to get the number two seed in the Big Ten tournament with an outside shot to get the number one seed. But the only way that can happen is if Illinois wins out and Michigan loses out. Do you think Illinois at least splits the weekend with Ohio State and Michigan, or do you think they lose both games or win both games? Um, I would be shocked if they won both. I'm definitely not expecting them to win tonight, Tuesday night at Michigan. Um, I think they can come. I think they can probably split. I mean, Ohio State is sort of an enigma. You know, you never really know what they're what you're going to get with them. Uh, you know, they just got beat pretty handily at home um, by Iowa on Sunday. So, you know, of course they'll be at home again um, to close out the regular season against Illinois this weekend. So Illinois can definitely win that one, but. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Illinois for getting those two wins last week. You know, Io DeSumo's been out with a broken nose and a black eye, and and you know, so going without their best player and able to pick up some wins, and yeah, able to hold off um, Demetric Trice in that unbelievable comeback where, yeah, like you said, 19 points in the final two minutes or so, uh, un- unreal. But yeah, able to. Still pull out the five-point win on the road against a ranked team, so that's good. Obviously, prior to that, um, they won handily at home over Nebraska by 16 uh, in their first game without DeSumo. Um, But, yeah, now two really tough games against Final Four contenders. Uh, Obviously, Illinois is a Final Four contender themselves. themselves, But, um, you know, we'll see what they're made of. You know, Michigan has just been a machine. Uh, so that's obviously going to be tough to be able to to try and beat them on the road. And Ohio State will be a tough matchup as well. But, you know, I think, I think they can probably split or at least come close to doing so. But, you know, if they do go into this week heading into the Big Ten tourney, it's, it's not – a huge deal, um, you know. I mean, it's two tough road games to close out the regular season. Um, I'm just really looking forward to the Big Ten tournament. Going to be jam packed with with excitement and great teams. And well, Illinois looks like they're going to have the number two seed locked up. Northwestern finally put an end to their 13-game losing streak that they endured by going on the road and actually pulling off an upset win against Minnesota, 67-59. I know Minnesota's having a down year compared to the years they've had the last couple seasons, but that's still an upset win when you look at how much Northwestern was struggling. And now they finish the season with Maryland, who is playing a lot better now than what they were at the beginning of the season. And then obviously – you have Nebraska to close out the season. So even if uh, Northwestern goes one and one this weekend, they should have a little bit of momentum going into the big 10 tournament. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to last for them in that tournament, but at least they're going to go in with potentially a little bit more momentum now than what they would have had prior to that Minnesota. Right. Yeah. So they, they opened big 10 play back in December three and Oh, three straight wins to kick it off. They might close out big 10 regular season, play with three straight wins um so yeah weird season for them 
the yeah the the win the eight point win at Minnesota was Northwestern's first victory of 2021. They hadn't won um, prior to that. They hadn't won since the day after Christmas. So <laughs> um, been a very odd season for them. But yeah, now getting to take on Maryland at home and Nebraska at home to close out the regular season. They can win both of those games. You know, of course, Nebraska's terrible, so Northwestern should win that one. Um, and Nebraska, I think their they're leading scorer, one of their top players, just announced he was transferring. So uh, that'll make it even easier for Northwestern. But, yeah, Maryland will be a tough one. Maryland's a, an odd team, kind of like Minnesota. You know, Minnesota's gotten some big wins, but some terrible losses in there too. Maryland's been real up and down this season. But Northwestern can win that one and um, obviously should beat Nebraska. So uh, we'll have to see. But, yeah, that would be pretty pretty funny and pretty interesting if they, you know, after starting out 3-0 and in Big Ten play and then losing a bunch in a row, closes it out 3-0. and Yeah, and then you have DePaul kind of in a similar situation to uh, Northwestern where – their nightmare season is almost coming to an end. They had that win against St. John's John's 88-83, and then they lost by 24 to Creighton and then almost almost beat Georgetown that last week, and they lost 68-60. They closed out the season with Marquette at home. So, I mean, they have – then they have the Big East tournament where they're going to obviously probably take on Villanova, one of those top – seed so they're going to be one and done most likely in the big east tournament but as much as they've gone through this year i got to give them credit for at least getting 17 18 games in this year obviously they would have liked more and obviously they would have liked better results but there wasn't much that they could do with the season that they had to endure this season so for them just to get through the year the way they did that's just kind of a win in itself right there because they could have been one of those teams that said well we've lost x amount of games we're just going to cancel the season and forget about it. But they didn't do that. They gave their kids a chance to play. And granted, the results weren't there. The kids are probably going to learn a lot from this season, which is going to be very good. going. Yeah, for sure. And they made it to March, which wasn't always a guarantee, especially how things got started for them. And, you know, not getting to play until December 23rd is when they played their first game. So, yeah, been a – been a crazy, unfortunate season for them, for the Blue Demons. But, um, yeah, they get to finish out the regular season tonight, Tuesday night at home against Marquette. Um, they can potentially get a win there, you know. I mean, hopefully just for the, the players' sake, they'll get to play well and keep their heads held high to close out the season here with, you know, tonight and in the uh, Big East tournament. But, yeah, DePaul's season – DePaul's odd season should be expected to come to an end here in the near future. Then you got teams like Notre Dame who just when we think they're starting to kind of turn the corner, then they kind of go backwards again. They're now in a stretch of three consecutive losses, which was capped off by their 94-90 overtime loss to Boston College. They close out the season at home against North Carolina State tomorrow and then against ACC leading number 11 Florida State on Saturday. So I don't expect them to win that game against Florida State. And 
I mean, North Carolina State's a very winnable game. They're an 8-8 eight and eight team. North uh, Notre Dame is a 6-10 and 10 team. But, again, just kind of the same situation like DePaul, minus obviously Notre Dame had got a chance to play more games. But it seemed like every time Notre Dame was getting in the rhythm, they either had a game canceled or postponed. And it seemed like after that cancellation or after that postponement, they just came out very flat then for the next couple of weeks. So they just never got in that consistent rhythm because they were never allowed to be in that rhythm for a long yeah, period of time. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of teams, that's this crazy, you know, unpredictable season where scheduling, nothing's set in stone. I'm sure that's affected a lot of teams. But, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, you know, they were sitting pretty back at the beginning of the month to maybe make a run at, at being a bubble team you know, come at least come conference tournament time. But now obviously very much out of the mix. Like you said, uh, three straight losses, you know, lost by um, a week ago today, lost by 12 at Louisville. And then, like you said, over the weekend, lost by four at Boston College. And Boston College is awful. Um, already fired their head coach mid season, So, uh, that's a terrible loss and, you know, pretty much put the nail in the coffin, so to speak, for Notre Dame's bubble bid. But uh, right now they might as well just be hoping that they can maybe pick up a win or two at home to close out the regular season and, and hope for to potentially win a game in the ACC tourney and maybe get in the NIT. So, yeah, the season's quickly unraveled, you know, after they – blew that game against Georgia Tech earlier this month. They were able to pull off the a good win at Duke and then beat Miami at home. But ever since then, ever since they had the epic second-half meltdown against Syracuse, it's it's pretty much been all she wrote. So, yeah, odd season and um, just, just uncharacteristic, I should say. Not odd, but just uncharacteristic of a Mike Bray team to see how they've, they've been able to – They've been unable to hold on to leads against teams they're arguably better than and, and just not coming up with big wins. So, I don't know. I have to wonder how much longer the Mike Bray era at Notre Dame is going to last. But, um, you know, he'll, he'll probably get another shot at, at, at coaching a, a normal kind of season. And at least we know that we will have one conference champion in the Chicago area as the Loyola Ramblers took care of Southern Illinois over the weekend to wrap up the Missouri Valley Conference Championship for the regular season. Drake ended up losing one of their games over the weekend, so Loyola actually gets the outright conference championship instead of splitting it with Drake, and now... They have the first round by in the conference tournament, and they await to see who they play on March 5th. Uh, what are the chances that you think uh, Loyola can run it back twice and not only win the regular season conference championship, but win the postseason Missouri Valley Conference title? And if they do both, do you think there's a possibility that they could get a four seed in the NCAA tournament, or do you still think regardless of what happens is kind of going to be in that like five to six range. I wouldn't rule out a four seed. Um, I, I wouldn't rule it out. And yeah, I think the chances are good that they'll, they'll win the NBC tournament. Um, you know, they've proven to be the best of the best in that conference in recent weeks. And yeah, Southern Illinois played them tough in two games over the weekend, you know, including an overtime uh, game on Saturday, you know, Friday, 
Loyola won by eight in regulation, then won by seven in overtime on on Saturday um, at home. Both games at home, obviously, for Loyola. But, yeah, so, you know, the outright championship is great, uh, an awesome testament to uh, an awesome season for them. And now they'll be the one seed in the tournament, the conference tournament, and I, I would expect them to take care of business in St. Louis. Maybe we'll get a, a matchup, a good championship matchup between Loyola and Drake. Um, but, yeah, I think if Loyola wins that tournament, I can't rule out a four seed. I mean, especially considering how fluid everything is in the major conferences. Um, you know, you can't count out a lot of teams ranked, you know, between 15 and 20 right now, um, suffering several losses between now and Selection Sunday. So, yeah, Loyola could climb up to that four spot. I mean, they're such a great defensive team that, you know, I expect that'll um, win them some points with the selection committee. But, you know, right now looking at maybe a five is probably the likeliest scenario um, if they win the conference tourney. You know, if they lose the conference tourney, depending on when that loss comes, um, I mean, they'll still obviously get in that large, but we'll probably drop a seed or two from where they are now. But, um, yeah, let's just see how they do in St. Louis and Arch Madness. Um, you know, that, but uh, for – I mean, it's certain at the very least that Loyola will uh, hear its name called come Selection Sunday. So, uh, that's good for them. Yeah, and then you have teams like the Chicago Bulls who – as much as they try to get above 500, they just can't seem to hit that mark. They have not been above 500 since 2017. They were 500 earlier in the season, but they got at 15 and 16, and then they dropped a very tough loss to the Phoenix Suns on Friday. They had a lead going into the fourth quarter, and then Phoenix just manhandled them in the fourth quarter, and Chicago let that one get away, and then – Last night, the Bulls overcame a 15-point deficit against Denver to take a six-point fourth-quarter lead, let that one slip away because Nikola Jokic played like an MVP in the fourth quarter and just took that game over. Bulls are still 15-18. and 18. They're in a, still in a good position, tied with Indiana for second place in the Central Division. They're 10th in the Eastern Conference, basically tied right with Indiana at that point, and they close out the – First half with New Orleans tomorrow before having a week off for the All-Star break. But there is good news on the there is good news on the horizon as both Otto Porter Jr. and Laurie Markinen are expected to be back somewhere between the eleventh and the eighteenth. So they should be getting both back relatively soon. Do you think the Bulls are in a, a good position at this point? Obviously they want to win tomorrow against New Orleans to kind of better themselves heading into the second half of the season. But do you feel the Bulls are in position to make a very nice second half of the season surge once this roster comes back healthy? And do you think that Arturis Karnasavas has a trade in mind that he wants to pull, whether it's getting rid of one of his guys to acquire somebody or 
going to get somebody to make this team better down the stretch? Do you think he's got something up his sleeve for the fans? Yeah, he probably does. I mean, I can imagine that he does, you know, to help make this team more competitive um, because, you know, they're clearly playoff material. And, yeah, at least winning one of these last two games would have been good, you know, especially if they took care of business at home against the Suns. But they now lost two in a row. Um, you know, they'll be looking to get a win over the Pelicans tonight or tomorrow night to close out the first half because things aren't aren't going to be too easy coming out of the gate following the All-Star break. Got to play the Sixers and then the Heat um, and then the Raptors. So, you know, three, three teams that are very much in play for um, winning the uh, – representing the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals – um, at least just based on previous playoff performances it is at the very least. But, yeah, I mean, with that being said, you know, I do think the Bulls are set up to make a second-half surge. I'm not sure when it will be, but, you know, I can imagine once they get healthier and get Markinen back in action and Porter as well, um, they'll, they'll be um, ready to make it a run and – and um, we'll probably have a second-half surge of sorts. But, yeah, I mean, the All-Star break will be good for them. You know, it'll be an opportunity for them to recuperate and maybe get healthier and um, potentially come out firing following the All-Star break. Yeah, and looking at their second-half schedule right now, I think there's a – a couple spots where they could rip off a nice stretch of wins. You have the end of March and at the beginning of April, they have games against Cleveland, San Antonio, Golden State, and Phoenix. Uh, four very winnable games, especially when you look at how they played against Phoenix the first time. And then about a week later, they have a, a stretch of seven games against the Pacers, the Hawks, the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, the Magic, the Grizzlies, and the Cavaliers. That seven-game stretch right there is a stretch where they need to go a minimum of five and two because then towards the end of the season, they have another stretch with Cleveland, Charlotte, and the Knicks. So there's basically 14 games that I can name off the top of my head in the second half that Chicago should come out winning 10 to 11 of those 14 games. And that seven-game stretch at the – beginning to the middle of April is that one area in the schedule where if the Bulls are going to rip off a run, I think that's the area where they do it against yeah. those teams. Three. So we'll just have to see. But, yeah, I, I figured that, you know, they're, they'll be, they're setting up to have a second-half surge of sorts. And if there is a move to be made – I guess what position do you want to see the Bulls target or is there a specific player in mind that you would like to see the Bulls go after that maybe not necessarily would be a starter, but somebody that you think would just be a very good pickup for Chicago to bring in given the season they're having right now? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, you know, we talked before about them strengthening the point guard position, um, you know, giving somebody to compete with Kobe White. Um, so I would like to see them potentially add a guard, potentially a point guard, um, you know, just preferably somebody who can, uh, 
you know, who can shoot, simply put. Somebody who's maybe a three-point specialist and can bolster this, their scoring attack. You know, it would just be nice to have maybe another uh, scorer in the backcourt. Who do you have in mind? What about going to get a guy like maybe an Andre Drummond to help out in the post? I know the Bulls have guys like Carter Jr. and Daniel Gafford as their centers right now, but I've said this before that Wendell Carter to me is playing out of position. He's more of a number four instead of a number five because he's only six foot ten. He's not seven feet. Yes, he weighs 275 pounds, and he has the size to play in the paint, but he's not your prototypical seven-foot center where guys like Andre Drummond are seven feet, 260 pounds, and he's basically your typical post player. Drummond's a guy that I think would fit very well in Chicago, and as much as I like Daniel Gafford and the upside and athleticism he brings to the table, he just can't seem to stay on the court consistently, whether it's the injury side of things and whether it's him just not getting consistent playing time, I think he would benefit from a change of scenery. So I would like to see a guy like Drummond come to Chicago and then pair kind of Wendell Carter Jr. with Andrew Yeah, I mean, Drummond. that would be great if they could get Andre Drummond. You know, he's a guy who's, um, you know, was really, you know, late in his Pistons tenure was looking like maybe one of the best pure big men in the league. And, you know, he got traded to Cleveland and uh, hasn't been as visible since then, hasn't made as much of an impact, you know, primarily because Cleveland's not been very good. But, um, yeah, that would be huge if they could get a guy like Drummond and and rejuvenate, you know, his career as an all-star caliber player. Um, I mean, of course, he is a former all-star. So, uh, you know, that would be – that would be big for them potentially down low. But yeah, I, I I totally agree with you there. I mean, because that is that is sort of a concern, or some of the injury issues with Gafford, and the fact that some of the big men are potentially playing out of position. Um, Carter specifically, like you said, um, and yeah, there's somebody to compliment Markin and down low somebody who's more of a pure rebounder and and you know shot blocker like Drummond. um so yeah if they could pull that off that would be that would be huge another another player that comes to mind kind of when you're talking when you're talking about the pistons is blake griffin and blake griffin used to be the next big thing when he was drafted he came in as an athletic freak for his size in his first five, six years in the league were probably as dominant as any power forward out there. And then the injuries started to pile up. And once he got traded to Detroit, he kind of was never the same player. And now Detroit's basically not even playing him at this point as they're trying to find a team to trade him to. Blake Griffin is a guy that I think if he came to Chicago, I think his entire mindset and I think his entire career would be rejuvenated because he'd be going to a young team, a young team that is fun to play with, a young team that plays extremely fast. And Blake Griffin does still have some hops and athleticism left in those legs, I feel, where I think he would complement that second unit very well off the bench, and it would give the Bulls 
a very solid second unit piece coming off the bench. Yeah, and I mean, Blake Griffin's career has really fallen off in kind of a hurry. Um, you know, just hasn't really – I mean, he had a pretty – his first year with the Pistons, 2018-19, had a solid year, made the all-star team and um, was all-NBA third team, but really hasn't been like an elite, you know, Big time premier player, I guess, since since he was still with the Clippers, or at least since that first year in Detroit. But you know, last last year was a rough one for him, and so far this year he's he's struggling through some issues. Of course, he's dealt with a lot of injuries in recent years as well. But yeah, he needs this. He probably needs a new start because um, things just aren't really working out for him in Detroit. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, if he gets in the right situation and is able to stay healthy, he could be a serious X X factor for any team. So, um, yeah, it would be nice to see him get a change of scenery and get back to the Blake Griffin of old. And yeah, maybe it could be with the Bulls. And what about the possibility of the Bulls trying to go out and get Derrick Rose from the Knicks? I know. The Knicks got him about two weeks ago in a trade already, but Derrick Rose is playing the best basketball he's played in probably three or four years, and he's obviously not playing at his MVP level anymore because the knees and everything aren't what they used to be. But he's playing the best basketball he's played since winning the MVP, and I know Bulls fans love Derrick Rose, and they loved what he did when he was here. I think him coming back to Chicago and just kind of I want to say not necessarily finish what he started because that team when he was here was the closest thing that Bulls fans have had since Michael Jordan was here. But maybe him returning to Chicago can kind of be that piece to get the Bulls back to where fans want him to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, D. Rose quietly rejuvenated his career in Detroit and got back to being a a pretty solid point guard. I mean, yeah, he'll never – I don't think he'll ever be back to, you know, he certainly won't, can't, shouldn't expect him to ever be back to MVP form or maybe not even all star form. But, you know, he's sort of salvaged his career in recent years. And yeah, the Knicks going out and trading for him um, for his second go around with the Knicks, that says a lot about, you know, how far he's, he's come. Um, Cause I mean, of course, the Knicks this year, they're, actually a playoff contender so uh yeah if they if they were looking to move on from d rose after just having him for a few weeks um yeah i mean that would be awesome if if there was if he reunited with the bulls you know of course that's one of the that's one of the real tragedies or travesties if you will um you know, in I mean, in sports, excluding stuff that's obviously really tragic, but um, just you know, his Bulls tenure and how it it really unraveled after the untimely <clears throat> uh, ACL tear and you know that torn meniscus and all the injury issues, and um, you know, just to see how his career shifted from being you know looked like he was a, a surefire. Hall of Famer to where now, you know, it's it's like it looked like he would maybe be um, an afterthought 
uh, and just a guy who is remembered as being a player who was really good for a handful of seasons and then injuries ruined his career. But now he's been able to, you know, bounce back from it and rejuvenate his career. And, um, yeah, I mean, good for him. You know, that's that's an awesome story. Storyline. And I'm looking at his numbers for the year right now. He's barely playing 23 that's minutes a game, and he's averaging over 14 points. So even if he comes into Chicago and is a guy that comes off the bench to give the Bulls 20 to 25 minutes and is giving them 14 points, he immediately becomes the leading scorer off the bench because the leading scorer off the bench right now for Chicago is Thaddeus Young, who's averaging, I think, like 12.7 points off the bench. So he immediately becomes the leading scorer on that second unit. He's also a guy that has starting experience. So if something were to happen to Kobe White or the Bulls needed somebody to give them extended minutes off the bench, Rose is a guy that can do that. And looking at his scoring numbers from this year, you can count on him to give you double-figure points, and that's having more depth is always something a contending team wants and having as much scoring as possible off the bench is what all great teams have. And the bulls do have one of the best benches in the league this year. And I don't think many people would say that heading into the season that the bulls bench was going to be as well as it is, or as good as it is, but having guys like Otto Porter jr. On the bench and the way that Denzel Valentine has played this year and Garrett temple and Thaddeus young. And now you add a guy like Derek Rose, that might make the Bulls bench the best second unit. Yeah, in the definitely, NBA. definitely. And you know, I mean, we've seen what Rose is still capable of. You know, of course, he scored career high fifty points with the Timberwolves a few seasons ago. So, um, you know, he's still able to uh, contribute and have uh, some big time games coming, um, and you know, can serve as a big impact player coming off the bench for the Bulls. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if he's a guy or if any of these other guys we've talked about are targets for the Bulls front office here coming up at the trade deadline, um, that would be great. That would be that would signal that the Bulls are officially going all in to be, you know, competitors in the East, serious contenders in the East. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. But you know, even with how they stand now, I mean, they figure to be a playoff caliber team for the rest of the way, but obviously getting a, another piece in there to bolster um, either the backcourt or the front court um, would be key to making them a, a formidable opponent come playoff time. And last topic of the day today is we're going to touch on the Chicago bears who have been very quiet the past couple weeks, which it's kind of just, it's kind of disheartening for fans because you had all the rumors about them going after Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz. And obviously last week, Russell Wilson named the bull or named the bears as one of his destinations if he were to be traded, but the bears have been very quiet in terms of anything. I mean, they did hire Tom Herman as, a coach on the offensive staff. And I think they just basically created a brand new position to bring him in because I've never even heard of the position title they gave him before. He's like an analyst to special assignments or analyst to special something or another, which I, I think that is just a, a brand new coaching position that Matt Nagy named just to get him aboard. So 
it is what it is. I mean, I think it's a good hire because he is a pretty good offensive-minded coach, and we saw the offenses that he put together well in college, so that's going to be something kind of to watch, and I think he's a guy that could actually help the Bears come draft night as well just because he has such a familiarity with a lot of the college prospects in the draft to begin with. But given how quiet the Bears have been the past couple weeks, are you getting kind of concerned that they have no urgency or they have no direction as to where they want to go as a franchise at this point or in terms of what they want to do? Because it seems like they're very confused at the team they want to be. And it seems like they have no direction on where they want to go at quarterback or where they want to go. As a yeah. Team I mean, they're in a precarious spot, you know, I mean, I mean, but this is Ryan Pace is still running the show. So, you know, the bears decided to bears ownership decided to hang on to him for another off season, uh, another year. Um, so this is just, you know, what you have to deal with. I mean, a lot of uncertainty, um, and, yeah, you know, the quarterback situation is obviously the most pressing right now. But, yeah, there are a lot of question marks. And I agree, you do have to question kind of what, you know, what, where the Bears are, what they're thinking is, what direction they're um, looking to go in. I mean, you know, who knows, maybe they can somehow pull off a trade for Russell Wilson, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, and obviously Allen Robinson continues to be one of the main focuses with the Bears right now as they're still trying to figure out if they're going to franchise take him and trade him, if they're going to franchise take him and then try to re-sign him, or if they're going to try to re-sign him straight up. But let's just say the Bears and him can't reach an agreement. There's other good receivers out there that Chicago can have. I mean, Chris Godwin's available. They have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster available. Kenny Galladay, I think, is a very underrated wide receiver that spent the last five years with the Detroit Lions and actually emerged into being one of the better go-to receivers in the league. I think he would be a good fit in Chicago if the Bears and Allen Robinson couldn't reach an agreement. But then you also have to look at the offensive line position, which is what I think the Bears need to focus on in the draft, at least in the early rounds. But even in free agency, you have guys like Trent Williams, who's going to be a Hall of Fame offensive tackle, who is entering his age 33 season, but he's available and will definitely be able to help Chicago at the tackle position. Uh, Taylor Moten is available, and then you have guys like Brandon Sharif, uh, Rick Wagner. There's a lot of good free agent offensive linemen out there that Chicago needs to focus on, and we know that is the biggest hole on this team. It just amazes me that Ryan Pace running this team and you don't hear the Bears linked to anybody that you would think is going to yeah. help this team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's puzzling to to think of how his tenure has gone and how, you know, it's a lot of history repeating itself. But, you know, Bears ownership, again, decided to hang on to him and let him navigate at least one more offseason. So, you know, we just gotta hope for the best and hope they'll they'll he'll do something to make this team more competitive, at least on the offensive side of the ball. 
And then I'm going to ask you this last question before we sign off for the day. Right now, the Bears are picking number 20 in the first round. Obviously, I expect the Bears to stay at that position just because they need to they, – they right now cannot afford to give up another first-round pick because they've given up too many in the past. But do you think it's more likely that Chicago moves up in the first round to acquire a quarterback and then gets rid of some of their later-round picks? Or do you think it's more likely that Chicago moves back either in the first round or out of the first round to acquire more picks to fill other holes? That's a tough one to answer. I mean, I think what plays out between now and the draft or at least over the course of the next month or so might dictate that, you know, whether or not they're able to land a noteworthy quarterback who's, you know, already in the league. Um or decide to just give Trubisky one last shot. You know, Pace has given no indication really on what, you know, the real direction is. And, I mean, I understand that because they're trying to make trades and, you know, look like for a little bit they were potentially going to land Wentz, but then the asking price proved to be too much, I guess. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think it maybe depends on who they have at quarterback, but I guess (sighs) – you know, right now, I mean, it's looking like maybe the likeliest scenario with them being looking to, to, you know, move up. I mean, at least for the time being, but you know, it depends, really depends on who they sign and, 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 or if they're able to trade for somebody, um, you know, if they are able to acquire a quarterback or at the very least give Trubisky that vote of confidence and say it's his team for at least one last season, at least one more season, um, then it would be nice to see them trade, you know, that pick and acquire later picks and, and yeah, look to fill some of those holes, especially up front on the off on the offensive line. But yeah, I mean, a lot has to play out between now and then, I think. And you know, this is an interesting draft when you know once you get through the first three quarterbacks, Lawrence Fields and. Zach Wilson from BYU, you know, it's 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 tough to say that any of the quarterbacks left are, are really franchise-changing quarterbacks or guys who can come in and start in year one, you know, whether it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance or, or whomever. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that's the number one question, Mark. Obviously, it's the number one thing Pace is going to have to address here in the coming weeks. <laughs> is the quarterback position. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it would be preferable that, that Bears could uh, have that um, question answered, the starting quarterback question answered before the draft. But, you know, if not, uh, maybe they'll trade up. Maybe Pace will trade up to have a chance at drafting a Zach Wilson or maybe ensuring that he can get Mac Jones or or something to that effect because um, – yeah, I mean that's just that's the biggest. It's gonna be the biggest storyline of the off season for the Bears, obviously the quarterback spot. Well, it's kind of funny that you bring up Mac Jones because I read an article yesterday that Mac Jones is the one quarterback that is skyrocketing up the draft boards right now, and a lot of people feel that he actually might get taken before. Yeah. Justin Fields at this point, just 
given whatever people see are seeing in him right now. But I may be the minority on this, and I gotta I will admit that I don't follow the SEC that close. Obviously, I follow them in the college football playoff because nine out of ten times there's an SEC team in the college football playoff. But I'm on one of those people that I just don't trust an Alabama quarterback in the NFL because their track record hasn't been that great. And you can go back to just looking at all the great quarterbacks that Alabama has had, like John Parker Wilson, uh, as recently as Tua Tagovailoa, and Mac Jones, where they go and put up great numbers in college, but then they come to the NFL and they don't even start. And if they do start, it's for one or two seasons and then they're pretty much done. So I'm wondering if it's more of they're only as good as they are because of the talent that Alabama has around them or if it's the system that, that Nick Saban has in place just because if, you could say the same thing with the Ohio State thing too where guys like JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins and Cardell Jones, they just completely dominate in college. They're, they're looked upon as being like a franchise quarterback and then the moment they get drafted – they turn into complete garbage. So Alabama and Ohio State are those two schools that I just don't trust drafting a quarterback out of those programs because they're trapped. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Alabama, their quarterbacks used to do really well in the NFL back in the days of Bart Starr and Joe Namath and um, Kenny Stapler. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for the past, you know, 30, 40 years, not so much, right? But – uh, yeah, I mean, you know, two is really the best shot they've had in, in the Saban era of having a quarterback do well and make a splash in the NFL. Um, but for what's worth, Devontae Smith, of course, Alabama's top uh, target reigning Heisman winner, he, he it leaked out that he said in meetings that he uh, liked, you know, Mac Jones as a quarterback more than Tua, and he got to work with both of them. So, um, yeah, Mac Jones is shooting up draft boards. I'm just not sure if the intangibles are necessarily there for him to succeed in the NFL. But you know, I fi- I have to figure that um, for at least obviously Trevor Lawrence has a higher ceiling, and I have to figure for now that Justin Fields and Zach Wilson also maybe have a higher ceiling just based on talent, pure talent alone. But um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the weird things about the NFL from the past 20 years or so is a lot, not very many, you know, quarterbacks from these blue blood powerhouse college programs have gone on to excel in the NFL, whether it's, you know, Ohio State, who quite frankly has never really had a great uh, pro quarterback, or, you know, Michigan, post Brady, um, you know, uh, Alabama, like you said, LSU, a lot of these, a lot of powerhouse programs um, have struggled to, um, you know, Notre Dame has struggled to produce, um, you know, talented quarterbacks that have gone on to really excel in the NFL. So um, we'll see if, you know, Tua or Mac Jones would be able to break that streak for Alabama, but. Yeah, I mean, whoever takes – if somebody reaches and takes Matt Jones in the top, you know, 10 or 12 picks, I mean, that will certainly be reaching for him. But, um, you know, maybe it'll be worth it. You know, quarterbacks are everything in today's NFL. 
So, you know, I just think I just think there's some risk there with taking him really high because I'm not sure he's going to be a guy who, you know, it might take him a couple years to really be ready to, to uh, you know, slice and dice an NFL passing, you know, passing against an NFL defense. And, like, obviously I want the Bears to – find their next franchise quarterback, whether that means they draft one this year, they find one in free agency, they trade for one and this and that. But offensive line is still the most important position. And if I'm Matt Nagy, if I'm Ryan Pace, I'm drafting offensive line in the first round. I'm looking at drafting offensive line in the second round and then maybe addressing the quarterback position on day two. A quarterback that I've been – very high on that was near the Uh, where did we get cut off you were talking about you know it was not long after i finished my point about quarterbacks and mac jones and you were talking about the draft so yeah, if I'm if I'm the Bears, everybody knows offensive line is the biggest issue on that team right now, and it doesn't matter how good of a quarterback you have if you don't have protection up front, it's not going to matter. So if I'm Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, I'm drafting offensive line in the first round, and I'm even focusing on offensive line in the second round, and then trying to address the quarterback round if there's one that you like available. And a guy that I've been very high on since the beginning of the season was actually, I think, the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, trophy the first half of the year is Kyle Trask. And I know a lot of people are not talking much about him at this point, but you look at those first two months of the season and Kyle Trask was actually playing better football than Mac Jones. And he was actually playing better football than almost any player in the country those first two months of the season. And then the final two months of the season when – Kyle Pitts went down with an injury. I think Trask kind of started to force things a little bit too much, and he started to turn the ball over a little bit. But Trask, to me, is one of those guys that has all the intangibles to be a franchise quarterback, but it wouldn't come with the risk of starting him right away. He's a guy that you could draft probably in the second or the third round, similar to Russell Wilson when he was drafted in the third round. You could either put him on your bench for – one season and let him learn behind Nick Foles or let him learn behind whoever the Bears decide to get for one year, and then you can kind of remake the team and then hand the keys over to Kyle Trask. What are your thoughts on Kyle Trask as a possible option for the Bears? Yeah, I mean, he would he would maybe be worth it, but I, I don't know if he's NFL quarterback material. Um, he's certainly somebody they could draft and, you know, have to wait in the wings and maybe learn under somebody else. Um, I'm not looking at him as somebody who's going to come in and start, you know, his first couple years in the league, um, kind of undersized. There are questions about his arm. But, you know, yeah, it's interesting because he was, you know, like the Heisman front runner, like you alluded to, you know, for most of the season. And then, late in the year threw a lot of interceptions and just kind of fell off the radar and was a Heisman finalist, but had no shot of winning it entering the selection show. Um, and, 
Yeah, I mean, he also fell down draft boards. You know, he was really mentioned as being one of in that elite group of top, you know, five or six quarterbacks, and now he's he's not really mentioned as part of that group. Uh, but you know, I mean, taking him in the first round would obviously be a serious reach. But yeah, maybe you know, like you said, maybe the Bears could target him and you know could potentially get him in a in a later round, you know, second round or so, and and um, look to work work on him as a project. Um, you know, we'll just have to see what he's made of at the NFL level. I mean, he obviously had a great season, all things considered, this past season. Uh, it'll have to translate over to the NFL. That's, that's the big question mark, as if it will. And then what about – um, I'm going to throw this idea out there quick. What about the kid from VMI? I'm trying to figure out his name here. Hold on. There's a quarterback that's at VMI right now that is playing with VMI this spring, and then he's transferring to Maryland next year as a graduate transfer, and he plans to enter the draft following next year. So let's just uh, say – yeah, Resudinsky. I guess how familiar are you with Resudinsky? And I wasn't too familiar with him until about a couple of weeks ago, and I started watching film on him. And he's another one of those guys that comes from the FCS programs and just works his tail off. And I think after getting a chance to play with Maryland, I think Resudinsky is one of those players that if he has a good season next year is one of those fast-rising prospects. Obviously, I'm not going to put him on the same level as Mac Jones, but I think he could be like one of those quarterbacks that no one knows about until the season starts next year. And once they get to watch him play for a much bigger program, they'll start to see a lot of the intangibles he has. And he might be one of those guys that it would be interesting to see if the Bears were to target him should they stick with Nick Foles and not go quarterback this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with him, but sounds like he's got a lot of talent and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does on the big stage in the Big Ten with Maryland. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, hopefully the Bears will have their – Bears front office will have its sights set higher than than Reese Udensky. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll prove to be a guy who, you know, will be viewed as a steal come – Next yeah, his year's last, draft. His last two years with VMI, he's thrown for six thousand four hundred yards, thirty-nine touchdowns, and sixteen picks. All right. Well, yeah, I'll be sure to keep an eye on him with VMI, the Kidets, um, and then see what he does as a terp. But and last last year he threw for. 3,300 yards with a 64% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns and just five interceptions last year. And then in his first game of the spring, which I believe was last Saturday, he threw for like 270 yards with three touchdowns and zero picks. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, hopefully the uh, situation, the quarterback situation will be cleared cleared up enough by then, you know, assuming that he doesn't come out for the um, – which, I mean, I guess it's it's too late now. But, you know, assuming he's not in the 2021 NFL draft, 
Um, hopefully by the time the 2022 draft comes around, um, the Bears quarterback situation will be resolved or at least much more resolved than it is now. And the last thing I'm going to touch on quick is you brought it up many times about possibly the Bears bringing Mitch Trubisky back for one year. And it seems I think the longer the Bears go without making a quarterback decision or the longer it takes for the Bears to kind of decide what direction they want to go, I think the more likely it becomes a, a real scenario that Mitch Trubisky returns. But if, if you're Mitch Trubisky, do you even want to return to the Bears considering what they did to him? I mean, when they drafted him in 2017, it was literally two months after they signed Mike Glennon, which I still don't understand why they even gave Mike Glennon a four-year, $42 million contract, which is probably one of the dumbest contracts in NFL history, in my opinion. But he wasn't going to start as a rookie, but then Glennon got hurt, and then they turned the keys over to Trubisky. Let him start 2018 and 2019, but then they let him start in 2020. They benched him for eight games despite Nick Foles playing terrible football. They still kept Trubisky benched, and the only way, only reason why Trubisky became the starter again was because Nick Foles hurt his back, and then Trubisky ended up winning uh, two games in a row, so they weren't going to start him or weren't going to bench him at that point. But if you're Trubisky, do you even want to come back to Chicago considering what they've done with him the last four years? Yeah, it is something to think about, but I mean, it's, you know, Trubisky needs to take whatever opportunities he can get right now, potentially starting, or else he's going to be a, a clipboard quarterback. Um, you know, because I mean, the Bears are one of the likeliest teams to be able to say to him, you know, look, you can come in and be the the tried and true starter, and you know, look to build off of what you accomplished late last season and, you know, revitalize your career, really save your, at least your career as a starting quarterback. Um, so I don't know how many opportunities he's going to have to, you know, compete for a starting job. And, and not only that, but have as good of a chance at winning a starting job as he'll have with the bears. So, you know, there, there are probably a lot of hard feelings. I mean, especially especially considering, you know, not only, like you said, the, the Glennon situation, but, you know, from, from this past season and the fact that he was benched and, you know, and they left Foles in there for probably far too long and, you know, and it almost ruined the Bears' chances of making the playoffs. So, um, you know, yeah, there are probably some hard feelings there, but, Maybe since, you know, Nagy's no longer calling plays and um, that Trubisky will, will feel like he can accomplish something substantial if he decides to come back for another season. Who do you think is more important to the offense, Trubisky or Robinson? Uh, well, I would say Robinson for sure. I mean, you know, just simply put, he's significantly better at what he does than Trubisky is what he does so yeah I don't I don't expect Robinson to ever say this but if he were to come out and say I will sign an extension if you move on from Trubisky yeah you know that's something that might happen behind the scenes and we'll never really find out about it or at least not until down the road but yeah I can't imagine he's too happy with you know, the quarterback plays had to deal with in recent years. I mean, I've, I mentioned it before. I think he's 
one of the most underrated, if not the most underrated receiver in, in football. Um, you know, is because he's not the best quarterback he's had to work with in his five years has been or six years now has been Mitch Trubisky, and that's and Trubisky is a far cry from being a great right. quarterback, but yeah. he was drunk. Yeah, he had Blake Bortles for a couple of years in Jacksonville, and Blake Bortles had a Pro Bowl caliber season in 2017, but it wasn't a season where you could be like, oh my goodness, Blake Bortles is a franchise quarterback. Obviously, the Jacksonville defense and Leonard Fournette had a big reason as to why Bortles had the amount of success he did that year. But take away that year, and Blake Bortles was absolutely nothing. And then Robinson comes to Chicago where – 2018 Trubisky has a Trubisky has his best year in 2018 but it wasn't like a great year he had 21 touchdowns but he also had 13 interceptions so it wasn't like a blow me away type year and then he took steps back in 2019 and then he took steps back again in 2020 but then took steps back up and then took steps back down and Robinson has continued to get better and better every single season granted a lot of that has to do with He's targeted more than anybody else on the Bears team. But you have to wonder if he's getting to that point in his career now where he wants to go to an elite quarterback that can actually maximize his talents the way he feels he's worth. And I can just picture what Robinson would do if he played with a guy like Aaron Rodgers or if he played with a guy like Tom Brady. I mean, you look at the numbers he's put up with the quarterbacks he has. I just it just gets me wondering what Robinson would actually do with a legitimate quarterback throwing him the ball. Yeah, for sure. And you know that's one of the key factors in terms of a receiver's production is, you know, the the quarterbacks the caliber of quarterback he gets to work with over the course of his career. So, yeah, Robinson might not come out and say it, but he might be looking for greener pastures in terms of getting to work with a much better quarterback than what he's used to dealing with. That's all the time Cole and I got for you today. Um, As we talked about last week, we will probably run next Tuesday again, and we'll kind of take it week by week to see what days that we're going to go on. So, Cole, anything before heading off? Yeah, I just wanted to say rest in peace to Lewis Nix the third, you know, the former great Notre Dame defensive lineman who passed away uh recently, passed away over the weekend, um, an unfortunate car accident. Uh and you know, he was known as Irish Chocolate when he was with Notre Dame. He was like a, and as that nickname indicates, he was a real fun loving guy, uh real character and you know somebody who was instrumental on that team that um got to the national championship game the 2012-2013 season uh and you know he was a fixture of that defense and then played for a few years in the nfl as well so rest in peace to him and um that's a tough loss for the notre dame football family obviously All right, that's all the time Cole and I got for you today. Uh, We'll be back on the air next week. Uh, Take care and have a good rest of your week. All right, man, you too. Talk to you soon.